Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Box. We appreciate you stepping into the Coach's Box this evening. I'm your host, Coach JP3, as always, and joined by Coach Natty T and the real Coach K. So we have a lot to go through today. There's just so much happening in, in, in the world in general, uh, but in particular the sports world. We wanted to bring some uh, new things to people's attention. Yeah, I think it's very easy for us to get caught into our own systems of athletics that we forget to really look at how the rest of the world is doing. We, we have this issue when it comes to um, government, healthcare, um, um, the criminal justice systems, all those things. You know, we if you really look at the stats and see how other countries are doing it, I think as great as the United States is, we have some things to learn from other countries. And when it comes to sports, we were really critical to NCAA on this show. And I know we're not the only ones that are, that are doing that, but a lot of people are like, hey, well, if you don't like what you're saying, what, what are the alternative ways? How else could they do it and be successful? Uh, so we thought we would shift gears and, and let's get an example of what that looks like um, in, a, in a different country. And so Coach Maddie T is going to start us off here by breaking this down, breaking down with this, the business of uh, European soccer, and could this model actually work in the United States sports? Uh, so Coach Maddie T, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> our listeners just bear with me here. So I'm going to be talking for out of maybe a good five, 10 minutes or so, because uh, as Coach JB3 said, just wanted to give an alternative perspective, especially piggybacking off of our last last week's show um, and what we talked about there in terms of, um, you know, just the, pressure, the amount of pressure that, you know, these young athletes have today, especially, you know, in that middle school, high school age, age range. And, you know, it's just a lot going on. Whereas in Europe, they do things a lot differently. So um, just wanted to, again, share a different perspective. And then before I go, I want to give a shout out to PSG. That's my squad. I made it to the semifinals of Champions League, along with uh, Real Madrid, Manchester City, and Chelsea. So I'm excited about that. I was a little nervous when they drew Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich won the whole thing last year and they beat PSG in the finals last year. So um, they drew them in the quarterfinal and they, they took them out this year. So um, shout out to Neymar as well. He usually pisses me off, but he played well. So he's on my good side up until the next game anyway. So I'm curious now, why does Neymar usually piss you off? So for those that follow soccer, Neymar's, I mean, fantastic talent. Um, is a Brazilian player, but Man, he's very frustrating to watch sometimes because he he's he's one of the typical guys that dives a lot or like if he gets fouled, he starts rolling around or um, sometimes he just tries to do too much in the game instead of letting the game come to him. The last game that he played against Bayern Munich on Tuesday was he didn't score, but beautiful, just if he would play like that all the time, they would be unbeatable. Um, but he was he was fantastic on Tuesday. So I, I just hope he can keep that up. But 
he's just annoying sometimes and he really gets on my nerves. But anyway, so first, what I'm going to get into is just how each, basically just how soccer works or football works in, in Europe. And I think this will be mostly for our American viewers because I'm pretty sure when they know who kind of the top players are and top clubs are, but you know, looking on the outside, looking in, if you don't follow it, it can be kind of confusing. So really all you need to know is essentially each country in Europe has their own league um, and where there's four divisions, there's a top division. I'll just use the English Premier League as, as, as an example. So there's the English Premier League that's at the top. There's a championship division. There's a third division and there's a fourth division. Um, teams that play in the first division are teams like Chelsea, teams like Manchester United, teams like Liverpool. Those are the clubs that play in the first division. Um, so essentially each team plays each other twice. Um, three points for a win, one point for a draw. Most points in the league wins the league. That's it. There's no playoffs. Well, you know, sort of. Um, <laughs> then the bottom three teams get relegated. So what does that mean? Now, the bottom three teams of the three lowest points go down to the second division. And then the second division, the top three teams in the second division go up to the first division. So what's unique about that is all the clubs that are in the second division or the third division, they're not owned by the first division team. So for example, like sports here in America, the NBA owns their D-League affiliates. Uh, Major League Baseball owns their minor league affiliates. These are all independent clubs that have their own operations. So what makes it interesting is even at the end of the season, the bottom three teams or those bottom four or five teams, depending on what's going on, it is a battle to try to stay up in the top league. And the significance of it is there's a $40 million revenue loss when you go from the top league to the second league team. Another significant fact about that. So in England, there's been five teams within the past five or yeah, there's been five teams that have gone down to the second division. And within five years, they actually have gone bankrupt. So that's how important it is. So it kind of gives you just the intensity behind each of the regular the regular season games, as well as trying to stay up in the league because that revenue loss is no joke. Everything matters. Wow. Everything matters. So there's, there's no playoffs somewhat. I say that because here's the second part. Now each country also has their own cup style league. So they play, they, these are just, it's just an open playoff where it's open to all the, all the different divisions. So the first division, second division, third division, fourth division, even semi-pro and amateur teams qualify to play in this big round robin tournament. They play simultaneously <clears throat> with, the, with the league, with the actual, you know, first league divisions or whatever. So what ends up happening is your regular season games and your league games those are played on the weekend their cup games are usually played like on a wednesday tuesday or wednesday so it's just again it's just an open playoff and every team pretty much every team qualifies no matter what division you're in and then it goes down to two teams and then you win that there goes another cup 
So there's money involved in that, but a lot of times it's just exciting because pretty much any team can get a chance to knock off a big team, which is makes it even more interesting. Um, so then the third part, or no, my last part is Champions League. So this is the most infamous club competition in the world. So essentially what it is, the best, usually the best three to four teams in each country league division, the three or four best teams, they play, it's basically the top 32 teams in Europe. So there's this big tournament, top 32 teams, they get broken down into eight groups of four. So in those eight groups of four, the top two teams, they, everybody plays each other twice home and away. Then you move on to the next round. Now what's unique about the champions league, each round that you move into, they do a draw. So there's no bracket per se. There's just a draw. You don't know who you're going to play. Like we have an idea because usually they break them up by the teams who win their group and the teams who come second in their group. But other than that, you really don't know who you're going to play. So it's just a random draw. So it makes it exciting. Um, And then essentially that shrinks down, shrinks down, shrinks down, down to final two teams. Then whoever wins that game is crowned the champion of Europe. And then other than a World Cup year, that is the most important football match in the world, period. So I bring that up because as it pertains to how do all of these teams get all of these players? How do they actually develop all of these players? How does that work? So in Europe, education and athletics are totally separate. There's no middle school team. There's no high school team. There's no such thing as college sports. So it's either you pretty much, you're going to play professional football slash soccer, or you're going to go to school. That's it. Whereas over here, obviously, sports are tied to, you know, your school or the education or whatever, however you want to place it, right? So the difference is each club is essentially responsible for development, scouting, all those sorts of things. So um, well, when you're a kid, example I gave last week, let's say Coach JP3 is a, is a soccer player in, in Europe. Let's just choose England <laughs> yeah <laughs> so James is a good player James is a really good player let's say James is around 10, 10 or 11 years old he's a good player and Manchester United decides hey this kid's pretty good let's bring him in in our academy program so what James is going to do he gets signed up and it's free of charge to the family there's no pay for play system there's none of that now, it depends on usually the top clubs play for every everything. Now, some of those second league division or third league division teams, they all have youth academies. They may not pay as much just because they're, you know, they're not as rich as the bigger clubs. But if you get on to like a major, you know, first division team, they're paying for everything. And I mean everything. Travel, food, education, all that stuff. Pay for everything. And then you're a kid that continues to develop and play well. You get a chance to actually play on the first team. So uh, you get a chance to actually make it to the, to the senior team or well, the first team, if you will. Um, usually you're around 17, 18 by that time. 
you're still playing well, still showing some promise, you can either stay at that club or you can get bought by a bigger club. What do I mean by being bought? Now, in U.S. sports, there's such things as trades. There's such things as drafts. There's no such thing over there. Literally, if you're a good player, I use James as an example again. He's playing on Manchester United. He's 17, 18. He's shown some promise. And Real Madrid says, hey, we want to buy James. Okay, how much do you want him for? Uh, $100 million. So they're going to pay – Real Madrid is going to pay Manchester, or Manchester United $100 million for his services. And that's it. That's, that, that's separate from his salary. That's literally the transfer fee to get his rights. That's wild. It is wild. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, even if James stays at Manchester United, and say he's been there four or five years, and he's saying, you know what, I just want a new challenge. All he has to do is say, hey, I want to go somewhere else, and they will accommodate you. As long as they have an agreement in place with another club, you can go wherever you want. So this, this concept of player mobility, which was very foreign to American leagues for quite some time. I mean, people looked at, people look at LeBron as like someone had really jump-started the player mobility in the NBA. This has mm-hmm. been going on over there. Yep. Yep. So it's just a different perspective. And I just thought it was interesting to kind of bring it up and give the context to, and again, this is probably mostly for our American listeners that may not follow European soccer. It's just a different perspective because again, they just have a different fundamental philosophy. So I'm going to even go even more deeper here. So I looked up the U.S. Census Bureau, right? In terms of the breakup of this country. So white, 60%, Hispanic, Latinos, 18%, Black, 13%, Asian, 5.9%, American, Indian, 1.3%. And then if you're just considered mix, 2.8%. Okay. So U.S. household income, Asian, 81,000. White, 68,000. Hispanic, Latino, 50,000. Black, 40,000. And then all races combined, 61,000. That's the average. Mm. Why do I bring that up? Because in the United States, even at the youth level, a lot of, or not a lot of, a lot of these players are exploited, right? A lot of the youth systems here, whether it's high school, whether it's AAU, whether it's QB elite camp, whether it's, uh, what's the other one? I think there's a, there's a Nike elite camp in basketball. There has to be some profit made off of it right and who gets profited the most off of african-american children Mm -hmm. which would make up only 13 percent of the country and we have the lowest household income gee wonder why is that but in europe what do they do they actually pay for everything it's Mm -hmm. purely talent-based it's not based on, oh, well, you know, if you can afford to play, like, you'll play. No. It's purely based on talent. So that's a big difference there. 
because here people are dependent on either <clears throat> from collegiate <clears throat> sports or you know high school and collegiate sports or from the AAU circuit and being in those those uh, networks to get noticed, right? Which is going to cost the families money to be a part yep. of. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And this is why, even just with soccer in America, why there's been such a disparity in terms of talent level, because here it's a pay for play system. Mm-hmm. Over there, like there's no like it's just purely based off talent. So again, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think just imagine if the NBA, the NFL. Major League Baseball, NHL, all the sports. In my opinion, we should do away with college athletics completely. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not gonna happen. <laughs> no, definitely ain't going to happen. Make that's too not going to happen. Off of it. Right. It's making too much <clears throat> money off of it. But to me, and this is why in Europe, it, it, to me it makes more sense because all those kids that are playing – especially at the college level. I mean, it's essentially, it's a minor league. It's a, it's, a, it's a minor league to the pro league. That's what it is, especially in basketball, especially in football, right? Mm-hmm. Why not? Like, imagine if you just had, you know, three different divisions within the NFL or just in professional football. There's three, division, three different divisions and then, you know, bottom three teams get kicked out and the top three teams can't move up to the NFL. <laughs> like, that would be amazing to watch, right? Yeah. That would be that would be except I, I have one issue that I feel like there are some staple teams that sh- that no matter what the record is should not be allowed to be kicked out of the oh, NBA. Oh jeez, here we go. Chicago <laughs> better not be one of them. <laughs> so what? Chicago better not be one of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can do whatever you want to Chicago Bears. I don't care. <laughs> but that's but to me, what the beauty of it is, it that's it in Europe. In it, you know, in every country, those top teams, like it puts the onus and the pressure on them to maintain competitive because yeah. you better not drop down or else it could be trouble. So that's what I like about it. It holds them accountable. I like yeah. the fact that they're responsible for the development of players. It's not on necessarily like the parents. It's not on the necessarily the, the volunteer coach to come out of pocket, to travel across country and do all of that. Like, no, if, if you're a professional organization and you want to find talent, it's your job to find talent and nurture that talent and develop that talent and put money into that talent. That shouldn't be on the I, parents. I like I like that idea, especially like I, there, I mean, because, well, if you, if you lose here, if you tank the season, you get rewarded. Right, you know, right, drafted. exactly. So, exactly. I mean, so say like in five years, if your team doesn't make it to the playoffs, maybe maybe the whoever the owner is loses ownership and somebody else has to, they have to, maybe they're forced to, to actually sell the team or something. Oh, yeah, and that and it happens. Like, for instance, uh, Barcelona, they're yeah. owned by the city. So they actually have like an election, like every, I think it's every, Three or four years, I believe, um, for to for the president of Barcelona. They actually have enough. They actually hold an election. Wow. Yeah. So it's no joke. Like if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, they will vote you out. 
<laughs> franchises like the and football, just speaking about football, Detroit Lions. Yeah. And, you man. know, Cleveland for a I'll, long time. Yeah. Jerry would have been gone, man. That's what I'm saying. Like Jerry Jones. So that's what I'm saying. That's why I like I like European football because again, like the intensity is there. There is no like there's no rest for the weary. Like you can't rest on your loyals. You constantly have to be getting better. There's none of this uh oh, let's just save our money or like for instance, the Cleveland Cavaliers when they had LeBron James, you know, at least his first run in Cleveland, and yeah. you know they were just trying to do the homegrown nonsense thing. It's like, listen, nah, man, you need to get the best players you possibly can because if if say if if we were in Europe right now and LeBron James was playing, and you know after that first three four years, he'd be like, I'm leaving, I'm out. You couldn't really stop him from leaving, mm-hmm. so you better maximize his time there or else he's going to leave. You don't have to wait. There was, there is no such thing as free agency over there because you can just leave. <laughs> Things aren't working out. Like I'm out, I'm done. Go take me somewhere else. I, li- I like this on several levels because, you know, I, for those who don't know, I, I work in education. So I work at a university. Uh, and so there's a lot of people that are proponents of education and, Definitely, definitely so, you know. But with this system, uh, when we were talking about this offline, and I asked Coach Natty to the question, I said, you know, well, you know, so what happens when, you know, kids go over there? What happens with their education? And and you respond like, they pay for teachers to teach the kids while they're in there. So it's almost like a soccer college, you know. Yeah. So you're working there and we bring in, you know, teachers to, um, was it get you through high school, the high school yeah. Level education? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if it doesn't work out, then they they pay for your way back home. You lose nothing out of the situation outside of an opportunity to play at the next level for them. But you're not out monetarily. Your family's not out, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I asked them about, you know, college. And so you were talking about how they're, especially the, um, the, the higher leagues are able to pay for really good quality teachers. And so you're getting the best education while you're there and it makes you more competitive in the workforce or when you're going into college um, overseas because yeah. you have excellent teachers in your, on your resume to say, hey, you know, I learned from these, these people, you know, some of yeah. the best in the business. So I, I just think that everyone wins in that. You know, if you make it, then absolutely, that's awesome. And if you don't, they're still playing for you. You don't have to start from scratch. You can go into it and they've helped prepare you in that way too. Uh, And so we can't always say that about our system. Um, And some people will say, well, yeah, if I don't make it to the NBA, then, hey, I got a degree and I can go on. But there comes a huge price tag that you had to front for that experience. Uh, That these kids aren't having the front for that. So I, I, I love that aspect of it too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's just a different perspective because, you know, in Europe, and as you kind of alluded to it, you know, we don't have to get too much into it, but just this healthcare and just in general, a lot of the social services, like, they just have a different fundamental belief than in the United States. Like, for example, healthcare, like in the United States, like, you know, we want to profit off of that. Like over there, it's thought of as an actual like service like it's not like something that should be profited off of like this is something that everybody should have and the government should supply it again it's just a we can go back and forth it's just a different fundamental belief 
and in Canada as well, but it's just a different fundamental belief than what we have over here. Cause here it's just American capitalism. Like we got, we got to profit off everything. Even if it's little kids playing basketball in high school, for goodness sake, we have to profit off everything. <laughs> so again, like I, I just, I think it would, it would be great. I think it would be fantastic to have that sort of system here in the United States. And again, I feel like having sports and education separate is better because to me, as we've always alluded to with the NCAA, I just, it's such an exploitation of, of the athlete because let's say, I was going to say most, but really all of the bigger schools, you know, your Ohio States, your UCLA's, your USC's, your Alabama's, like no matter football or basketball, all of these schools are funded by football or basketball. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just, to me, that's ridiculous. Like find your own daggone money. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> like we're just going to just, profit off of these kids and then they don't get anything like really okay but it's supposed to be just for the love of the game like get out of here man yeah there, there's nothing pure about that at all there's nothing pure about that and then even like because i'll even give you an example um because you, you guys remember freddie Adu? yes yeah so even though his development didn't go as well but to me I, he's a perfect example in terms of like because in my opinion the fact that he was here in the united states that was that was the worst thing for his soccer career mm-hmm. um because when he was coming up um and for those who don't know you know freddie adu this was early 2000s uh he was born in ghana small fishing town in ghana phenomenal player as a kid and then his mother or his parents won like the lottery that they have every year to come over to the united states um, and then he came over here, you know, his parents split up and, you know, they were struggling, actually lived up, up the street here in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And but he was a great, phenomenal soccer player. Obviously, he played in Ghana and, you know, he got noticed and, you know, kind of the whole hype machine went up from there. But a lot of people don't know when he was, I believe when he was 12 or 13, because he came over here when he was, I believe, 10 or 11. So then he was 12 or 13 by then now. Inter Milan, which is a club in Milan, Italy, they saw him play in a tournament in Europe, like a youth league tournament. Mm-hmm. They offered him $700,000. And I just bring that up because these are the type of contracts that are offered to certain kids that they see like, man, this kid's going to be really, really good. Now that's high because I mean, they really thought he was going to be really, really good, but still it gives you an idea of just the kind of numbers that they put out there just for these children. Really what they do is they pay the family because the way they view it is they're basically paying the family to say, Hey, like, can we borrow your son for the next four or five years? (laughs) So they're like, Hey, we'll give you money. Give us your son. We'll develop him. And as as you said, Coach JP3, like they're, they're going to get taken care of. They're going to be in the greatest schools. Even if things don't work out, hey, we'll send him back. And, you know, he's still going to be prepared for life, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, I just bring that up because, you know, the, that's the type of, of 
money. That's the type of investment that's put in youth, you know, youth football players or soccer players in Europe. Like that's the kind of investment that they put in these children. And you can see it turns out great because again, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't work out, they're still more more than likely they're still gonna be able to get a good education, still be able to have a good job. Even a lot of times, even if they don't make it on that level, some of them go to coaching. So, mm-hmm. you know, you still have, you still develop some sort of network. You still be, have been able to have some exposure because you're you're going to travel from country to country, um, free of charge. I mean. It's, it's a win-win situation for everybody. And then again, for the club, the way they look at it, hey, they're paying this kid. But hey, if he turns out to be a great player, that's great for us. Or if he gets sold to a bigger club. And like I said, a lot of those transfer fees can, I mean, they really vary from anywhere. But I mean, a normal transfer fee can be anywhere from 40, 50, 60 million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And again, look at, think about Freddie Abdu. If, 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 if his mom actually decided to let him go over there, that's $700,000. And, you know, he kept developing, kept developing, playing well. And then by the time he was 20, let's say Barcelona wanted to purchase his services and they paid $40 million. That's a win-win. That's a huge win-win. They've made some money. They've developed this kid. He's going to be able to, to go play for Barcelona, have a great career, make a lot of money. I mean, I just don't understand why we can't have something like that over here. I know why we can't, but to me, it's a win-win. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think this is a good segue to our next topic, um, looking at the development systems within the different countries. So we're going to take an NBA focused focus on this one. Uh, and so we're looking at who has the better development system for basketball, United States or Europe? Because we're starting to see a lot more European players um, entering the NBA. And I believe uh, now it's around, what, 25% mm-hmm. perhaps yep. European players, I think about now. Yeah, somewhere now. Yeah, so we're talking about a fourth of the league. You know, a fourth of the league's players – weren't born in the United States of America and then start playing basketball in the United States of America. Uh, and, and so that, that, that really presents this thing of the quality of developing players. And so I guess I'll start my perspective by just looking at it in, in terms of, I think we, we think that we have the best thing until we run into something that we have to really truly admit is better. And once we, once we come to terms with that, I think, I think we can make positive changes on our end. Because think about what Coach Natty T just broke down on all these circuits. The way we structure things, if you have a kid, let's just say they're, you know, around 14 years old or something like that. So they'll have a different middle school coach. They'll have a different high school coach. They'll have a different college coach and an AAU coach too, you know, college coach and then a different professional coach it is much harder to keep the quality of coaching at a high point when at minimum, you're probably gonna have five head coaches by the time you get to the the professional ranks, if not more, you're gonna at least have about five. And you look at the way that the games are being played 
it's not very high quality basketball. And when you get into the AAU circuits specifically, people are just trying to get noticed, right? So they're going to do what they can do. It's very ind- individualistic is the way that the game is played. And so that mentality, uh, it's hard for that mentality to actually leave players. So then when you get into the NBA, that's why a lot of the players like um, LeBron James, uh, Draymond Green's brought it up, and a lot of the older players who are witnessing this are talking about, you know, these kids are outrageously athletic, athletically talented, but they don't really know how to play the game of basketball. That goes to the teaching. They've been able to get by with their athletic prowess because they, they're, they're explosive. They can shoot very well. They bring something that gives us this whole uh, just kind of, ah, oh, wow, look at that. You know, we see a spark on someone. We're ready to just say, okay, yep, go ahead. Let's get it through. They can get away with that. That's what a huge issue is with our developmental system. But then you get the European players coming to the NBA. And I look at how fundamentally sound they are. They're very smart basketball players. They may not always be the most athletic. Some of them are. Some of that just depends on the player. But they're able to be competitive with people that have been playing basketball through all of these arenas and for the most part, more athletically talented. Jokic, Luka, Sabonis and his daddy, Peja Stojakovic. And as much as we we uh, rag on, on Giannis, I mean, he still has talent. Uh, then there's, you know, you could just go up throughout history and just think of all these players, Ginobili. Tony Parker. Tony Parker. Yeah. I mean, these plays at Joel Embiid. And so they're not necessarily coming through only European system, but they're coming through overseas systems that have a very similar format to them, um, to Europe as opposed to the United States. So in my opinion, I think Europe actually has the better development of their players. They may not be the most flashy players. They may not be the most athletic players, but they know better than anyone how to play the game of basketball and a lot of that is structured because it's not based on age over there. You know, us, you know, we're playing, if you're 14, you're playing against 14 year olds. Uh, and so we had to watch Zion dunk on people that were half his size. And we're, you know, so like, it's just like, how, can, how good can we really say that this person is when obviously he's head and shoulders above talent wise and everyone else? Let's, let, let's, let's bump him up a little bit and see how he plays against some older, more seasoned and talented people. Then we can measure that, right? Well, that's what they do in Europe. They say, all right, well, you out here hooping. All right, we're going to put you in this category now. You may be a little bit younger, but we'll put you over here. I think that's the best way to develop. You know, I think that's, and, and even us in America, I think we can agree that the best way to challenge ourselves in anything is to surround ourselves with people who are just as good or better than we are in whatever we're trying to do. That's how we learn. That's how we develop. So I have to go with Europe on this one. Man, <clears throat> I agree, but I have to say this about Giannis. Oh, <laughs> when I, I see that man, like, when I see that man running during the Euro stuff, with the basketball, looks like he's carrying a hot turkey and taking it out of the oven or something, running with it. 
that's that's what it reminds me of. And I will say to Giannis thing, I we were really hard on Giannis on this show, uh, and that's because we know how uber talented he is and where he could be because of his athleticism. But you know, having the mind around the sport, I think is once he got to the NBA, he didn't develop anymore. He didn't develop anymore. Right? Exactly. So that's partly, it's part on Giannis to demand that development, but it's also on the people that are responsible for his development. You know, one thing, I, I heard Kenny Smith talk about this last night. I thought he brought up a really good point. About and I didn't quite think about it this way either. And he said, you know, him and LeBron have kind of very similar games. They're not the person that's going to cross you up a bunch, but they're going to go, they're going to take a beeline straight to the basket. They're going to attack the basket. Now, why people, why, why can't people just put up walls in front of LeBron James? So he had some personal development on his side to be able to say, hey, I'm going to attack from different angles. So you can't just put up these walls and wait for me. Because I'm gonna make it hard for you to anticipate when I'm actually gonna come, come, come to the basket. And then also coaching-wise, it's not just like LeBron dribbling up all the time and then running to the basket. They're passing the ball around. They're getting the defense off guard. So you can't collect, collectively build a wall. So I think that's part of offensive strategy too. So I, I think the actually the United States development for Giannis hasn't happened to the degree that it should. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I agree with both of you. I mean, I think the, if we're talking about which system is better, I think the European system is better. Um, obviously, the American, if we're talking basketball, American players are just are just better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even, um, you know, we, we watched, uh, for the, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a YouTube video out there that kind of talks about this. And that's where I kind of got the idea for us to talk about the show, talk about this topic on this show today. I thought it was very intriguing. Um, but even if you look at... Uh, kind of your top you know echelon players in the nba most of them are american mm-hmm. but to me that's purely talent based i would say mm-hmm. um they obviously they have high basketball iqs as well but you know i think those are just super talented talented guys i think if you start kind of creeping down towards the middle of the pack i would say a lot of the european players are more productive yes. than the american players are because i think the, a lot of the american players once you kind of take a step down are pretty much specialists. They do one or two things and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the European players seem to be more well-rounded. Well-rounded. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I think the system is better because the way I envision it, imagine if you had that top tier athleticism of the American player taught how the European players are taught. So, you know, another example in that video was Luca, because, you know, they talked about over there how it really doesn't matter, you know, height, size, whatever, like you're, you're, you're learning fundamental basketball skills, no matter who you are, no matter what size you are, no matter what position you are, it's really kind of a positionless mindset in terms of how they coach. And then the other thing that what I love about it, I've mentioned it before the responsibility is on the professional clubs to develop. So not to necessarily bash, you know, the dad who's coaching or help volunteering or even the high school coach or even the college coach, but I feel like 
when the professional clubs are responsible for the youth development of their club, it brings a different level of coaching to that kid. Mm-hmm. And again, this is why in, in soccer, this is why there's such a dis- discrepancy between the rest of the world and United States soccer, because here we focus on the wrong things because, you know, at the, at the youth level, if you're not playing well, in the United States, they've started to kind of resemble it more like how the European system is. So it's starting to change a little bit. But in the past, I mean, you know, when you're playing in, in high school, you're playing club. And as to your point with basketball, you have five, six, seven different coaches. And then you may switch teams. And as as Fred Moyer said last week, right? I mean, if you're not playing in the big tournaments, like nobody's going to see you. So like a lot of times you just end up switching teams. And then you just try to, you're just trying to be noticed. And as you said, it ends up being a little bit more individualistic than really a focus on true development of the player. Whereas Europe, whether it's soccer, whether it's basketball, the focus is on the development of the player. So they'll notice you when you're younger, like, okay, this kid has potential. They'll bring you in. And it's just purely focused on development. There's not this whole like, oh, well, you know, we got to win this tournament because he's going to get exposure. No, you're already within the professional ranks system. So you're not, you don't need to be exposed more at that point. It's about development at that point. So to me, that's why I like that system better because when the professional teams are responsible for youth development, the individualism is taking out of it because it's purely focused on training and development. It's not about, oh, I need to get seen because I need to get this scholarship or, oh, I need to get seen because I need to be on this better AAU team so then I can get seen by a coach. Or even when I'm within college, I was like, oh, well, I'm trying to make it to the league. So I'm just trying to ball out right now so I can get noticed by NBA scouts. It's a different mindset. Yeah, I I agree, but I guess the question I would pose is, like, how far off is American development of their players considering, uh, I mean, the NBA is, well, I mean, right now will always be considered the pinnacle of basketball. I understand that basketball is American sport and everything. But, I mean, I think something has to be said, you know, the every, every, so, like, you know, every four years we have a chance to really see who's the best of the best. And typically it, it usually ends with American basketball players just completely. I mean, when, what, 16, was it 16 out of 19 times? Yeah, I mean, dominate, yeah, from the Olympic standpoint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, no, you're right. I mean, again, and, and I think, just American, the American basketball players are just better. There's just, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The, the talent pool is just better. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the over, you, you would see a higher quality of basketball. And then again, my, from where I'm coming from, I'm thinking about just the overall mental health of the kid as well because again when we talked about fred moyer last week but it's right. it's overwhelming because again all of that can be overwhelming because it's, there's a lot of pressure not to say that there isn't pressure on on the in the european system as well but 
you know, it's a lot. Cause again, when you get all these coaches letters and then, you know, you're getting all of this kind of hype and attention and all of that. And then there's just, there's a lot of mouthpieces out there. Like, who do I trust? Who do I listen to? I just think that you're, that's another reason why I think the European system is better because again, once you're in that academy ranks, like you're already in the professional ranks essentially. So you're not necessarily worried about that, right? You're just worried about, yeah. okay, just being the best player I can possibly be. You know, they have my best interests at heart and I'm just going to try and be the best basketball player I can be. Now, does that mean I, I make it? No, maybe I do get cut, but at least I had that experience and at least I can have a jump start to my education after that. But I just feel so, like here, it's just, you're just kind of like, well, <laughs> of course it's America. And this is kind of the definition of America. Like, it's just kind of, you're just, kind of left left out to the wolves if you will you know what i'm saying like it's just that for me that's why i think it's better as well because not only just from a development standpoint but just from a, a mental health and just from a protection of these young athletes because again like these guys are you just you just kind of left out here because again just like fred moyer said like if you don't really have like people that you can go to that actually understands how everything mm -hmm. works like you're going to get eaten alive because you'll get left <laughs> like you know what i'm saying it'll it'll be interesting i think it'll yeah it'll um you know if you look at five probably five ten years from now like you can really see international players take over the nba i think and so I I, think, yeah you're right you're right. Yeah, as as more um, players get more exposure, you know, from different countries, I mean, I think that I think that'll maybe begin to show like um, the 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 overall like impact of the development system. Now, the only my only the, the I guess the only thing is is like you know two things two things that I think that could affect that is is one. Um, type of like, are there going to be? Are we just going to continue to stack teams? Like, are we? Is the NBA going to be so separated that there's only like maybe four, four like really good teams, and then like you know a bunch of middle middle of the road teams, and then the game of basketball? Like, is it just going to be played like, you know? basically pick up basketball games with no with no uh no real defense everybody just shooting wild shots and then like that's kind of what's happening now <laughs> yeah i mean it, and there's not really a need for you know fundamentally sound basketball players you know unfortunately because right. you can you know, because it is an entertainment business and we, we, we were talking about that um, when you talk WNBA and NBA, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're better overall players. It's just like they're more entertaining. So like, yeah, I can dunk the basketball and jump for the free throw line. That doesn't mean I know how to play the game of basketball, but people are going to pay to watch me jump from this free throw line to dunk mm -hmm. the basketball. So if that's what the teams are focused on, that's what the league is focused on, that entertainment value then I don't have to holistically develop my game unless I personally want to and that particular system that I am is going to encourage me to continue developing. And so that's mm -hmm. when we see some players hit a ceiling sooner than we thought. And it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I really thought this. What'd you say? 
How's that Ben Simmons? <laughs> there is no way. No, but that's that's even well. As an ironic thing is, he's he's from Australia, but I mean, I mean he he kind of came up through most the the American system. American system. Like, What's but that's a but that's an example though. Yeah. Yeah. Because like no if he grew up, you not be able to shoot. Yeah, because if he was like, say, if they had like that type of system in the United States, and let's say he came up through the the seventy six or academy program. Mm-hmm. They would have they would have fixed that that fixed that that shooting issue a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a perfect example. They're like, oh, man, all these European players can shoot. It's like, yeah, because they weren't going to get out of yeah. that into the NBA unless they could. You know, they yeah. had to. They had yeah. to learn all that stuff. And I look yeah. at it of what we glorify in the NBA. And this is to to your point, Coach K, of saying the NBA is the big dog, and I think. It's the bit though because it's one of the primary focuses of American sports, you know, because we don't have soccer as one of those for us, even though we have a professional soccer league, it's not as big of a focus. Uh, so we're looking at what basketball, football, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL really? probably, and then MLS. Yeah, because well, because by revenue, technically it's NFL, MLB. MLB and then NBA and then actually like NHL MLS are actually like almost dead even yeah <laughs> so like that that presents the the kind of notion that it's not even the primary focus of the the culture in these areas overseas yet they're still producing people that are going to hold their own in the NBA that are very well developed that is the difference that I think. That's why I chose Europe in this scenario because I think, I think um, they do a really good job of that. And by the way, the YouTube video is called "Who's Better at Developing Basketball Players, Europe or USA?" Yeah. And it's two part one. So the first one you're going to see Luca in his Slovenia jersey, and then the second one is going to be Kobe Bryant in the United States jersey. Yeah. But, you know, the guy, the guy does a really good job of breaking those things down. But I look at how we glorify positionless, positionless players. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the people who say basketball are what Magic and Larry. So we talked about this before. And Magic was lauded as like this positionless player. Like this dude, how can he be 6'9 and run the show and he mm-hmm. can guard multiple positions? He even <laughs> filled in for Kareem at center. Like this is unheard of. But see, Magic was one of very few at the time, probably the only one in the NBA his time that could actually do that. We talk about Ben Simmons, you know, LeBron James, Scotty Pippen. They're, they're becoming more positionless athletes, but we don't have a positionless development of athletes. I think that's different. We have our, our outliers, and when then we glorify those outliers, when this whole time overseas, they're training people to do the same exact thing. And then all, most of their players are going to have that skill set. Mm-hmm. Those things that we find um abnormal to glorify over here so i think that's that's a huge point of the wealth of development that people are experiencing in other countries for basketball yeah and i think to well last thing so to coach k's point i think and i think we even talked about this you know a few few shows ago when we're talking about you know what is i think what what did we what what was the question we asked it was uh you know what's the future trends or you know, what do we kind of expect the NBA to look like in the future? Um, I think to your point, Coach K, I think 
we'll start to see like you know five ten years from now like especially if we see the european players that that percentage go from you know 25 percent to 35 percent 40 percent i i sent y'all the link because they're doing the nba africa now they have that league starting up like they're already kind of thinking about that so um because because i think really the question is the AAU or the Nike elite system that we have now, is that sustainable in terms of how the future, um, you know, status of the NBA looks in the future, right? I mean, because if, if, if we're going to be continuously be kind of stagnant in terms of development, you know, these European players, like, you know, sh- surely, but surely, like, they're just going to start creeping up, creeping up. Like you said, we we're I'm very hard on Giannis, but he is a two-time MVP. Yes. I mean, he's from Greece, for goodness sake. That's kind of that's really absurd by NBA standards. That mm-hmm. a dude from Greece is a back-to-back MVP. Like that's absurd. So he's I mean, we're already starting to kind of see it. We're already starting to kind of really, you know, see I want to say the changing of a guard, but I mean that that's unprecedented. It's a, it's a shift in culture because yeah. I think the NBA has been able to get away with it yeah, uh, because you had Magic and Larry. And then right after that, you have Jordan. And then right after Jordan, you have maybe like a couple of years of a lull where they kind of Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter. They had some people to hold it down. And then boom, LeBron James. And it's been all LeBron. LeBron and that ties into our topics of the, the succession plan to that they're putting their eggs in the Zion Williamson basket. Yep. A lot of people are for that because outside of that, they're going to have to look at international players that are entering yeah. the NBA to, to boost, you know, that, that thing when LeBron leaves. So I think for those of you who've been hanging with us for a while, these conversations are starting to string themselves together, right? You know, we, we talk about succession plans, talk about player development, those things are merging together to paint this picture of what things could be looking like. Uh, and it helps inform us of why the NBA is making certain decisions that it is now. Uh, yeah, because it seems like it's kind of out of out of panic. Because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm pretty sure Adam Silver looking at all of these things, man. Because even, not to get too much off topic, but like the whole play-in tournament thing for yep. the playoffs. Yep. Like that's, that's just, a, that's an effort to try and gain some sort of buzz because they know like the viewership is kind of it's it's a little rough right now. It just is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so. I mean, it, it they have they still have the issue of the majority of the regular season isn't really mattering as much. No. Because there's no real penalty outside of just not winning a championship. Right. Uh, yep. to, you know to you know to to losing for the season, so you can be. You know, you can have 20 to 25 or even 31 seasons, five years in a row. And it's just like everybody still saying, OK, well, we'll try again next year. People still coming to the stadium for the most part uh, and stuff like that. But people aren't going to watch as much because they're like, well, look at the quality that's on the court. Look at the team that y'all try to put together. Mm-hmm. The system's not working. Your team is not working. You're not winning. Why would I watch you? Yeah. And you have you have players like not showing up, like taking games off stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even when you do have a star player that I paid to see, I may not see them. Nope. But I'm still paying the ticket price or the NBA League Pass price 
that suggests the star power that you're supposed to be putting out. I'm paying for the star power, but yeah. the star is not playing. So we have an issue there. Yeah. And it's because these games aren't don't have significance attached to them, except like you said, now at least these la- this last part of the season, I think, is gonna kick up for some teams, but not all the teams, yeah. some teams. And then again, and then again, but I said last thing last time, but this is my last point on that. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I bring it up again. As, as Brett Moyer said last week with his son, it it even in basketball, it's starting to become a game, a game of have and have nots, right? Because like we said, the it's becoming expensive to even get to play Division One college basketball. Yes. Because you remember the night, right? Because he said, because what was the number he said? Like over a hundred thousand dollars altogether when he thought about just all the you know, travel, hotels, driving, mm-hmm. plane tickets. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like basketball, like that never, that never should happen in basketball in the United States, any sport. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. becoming expensive in the youth sector to even get noticed, right? right. Whereas in Europe, like you don't have that problem. It's purely talent based. They're just like, they see some potential. Okay, let's bring this kid on. Like that's it. Hey. They've, I feel like the NBA has been relying so much on just we're the NBA. We're, we got yep. the best, best, and and that that name is not enough now to carry, um, you know, getting viewership or getting ratings. Uh, I mean, cause, and, and I I'm gonna quote. I gotta quote somebody and and get at me, bro. If you if you somehow get a hold of this or somebody you know who has this contact information, let them know. But Nets, Kevin Durant, no longer driven by winning titles. <laughs> so, I mean, when you have when you have one of your best basketball players saying this kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, no, man. I, to me, that's a, that's early, a, boy. Start early with the hate. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Get at me, bro. Get at me, Kevin. KD. He probably will. I'll find a way. It is interesting though, because I, you know, maybe maybe he's kind of seeing what we're seeing on a on a yeah. on a different tip. But maybe like when he's looking at it, he's like, because for him to say that, like, so you mean training and development? See, so you, you all these years you've never really been like. Maybe that's something that he's wanted, but he felt like he hey. definitely had. Man, mm. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, mm. I'll get more into. Man, I'm gonna bless somebody today. If you're listening, I will bless you. I promise. There's a Coach K guy, a whole segment coming up where he's shifting his focus of the Bulls watch specifically on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we got one more topic to go beforehand. So so hold that thought, hold that in. Um, we, we talked about, you know, better systems, better development. But also, for those of you that haven't seen, NBA TV's put out an awesome two-part documentary on the 96 draft, the 96 NBA draft. Uh, and it's seen as one of the best drafts in NBA history. And so really when people talk about best drafts, they narrow it down to about three in NBA history. It's 1984, 1996, and 2003. So there's a lot of primary players to those which we'll go into. Um, So I thought I'd get us kicked off on this one. Which draft class was actually better? And that's a lot of people debate uh, about this. But I'm going to 
I want to share a few things with you because some of you may not have been born. Actually, I wasn't born in 84, but uh, I was born in 86. So I was right after, you know, after this. But looking at not all of you got a chance to see all these players play. So we're going to go into some of the names that you may recognize. So if we start in 1984, we're going, in, we're going to Akeem one number one pick. So you have Akeem Olajuwon, that's a widely recognized name. Michael Jordan was the third pick. For a lot of people, he's the best player that's ever dribbled a basketball. Uh, you have Charles Barkley at number five. Uh, you have uh, John Stockton at number 16, one of the best point guards to play the game. And so in between there, you have some other people that may pop up. Sam Perkins was a good player, uh, you know, played for the Sonics uh, finals team against Jordan's Bulls. Uh, Sam Bowie was injury-written, so we really didn't get to see his full potential, uh, unfortunately. Alvin Robinson was an all-star, um, played for the Bucks uh, for part of his career, but he was drafted in San Antonio, so he played there first. Uh, you have Otis Thorpe, Kevin Willis. Uh, Kevin Willis, for those who don't know, spent a lot of his time in Atlanta playing with Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb, just to give you some context there. Michael Cage was a great rebounder in the NBA, often going head-to-head -head with some of the greats for the rebounding titles each season. I go to the second round. I really don't know any of these people. Uh, so I, I, I'm looking for recognizable names. Uh, I see Jerome Kersey, who I do recognize, Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know, they went to the finals against Jordan's Bulls there too. So I recognize his name. But I'm looking at a lot of these other cats really failed to make a name for themselves. And at that time you had about eight rounds of drafting. So the draft was different back then too. And so I scrolled through all eight rounds of draft picks and really outside of Jerome Kersey at the number 46 pick in the second round, I couldn't identify anybody else. Okay, so the 84 draft gave us seven all-stars. Okay, so keep that in mind, seven all-stars. That's Barkley, Jordan, Olajuwon, Robert, Albert Robertson, John Stockton, Otis Thorpe, and Kevin Willis. Those are your all-stars there. Okay, so we're going to move forward to the 96 draft. Uh, I, I love the documentary, by the way. I'm almost done with, um, with part two. Uh, so then we have the 96 draft. Allen Iverson was your number one pick. We talked about Allen Iverson a lot on the show. Uh, Marcus Canby was number two. Sharif Abdur-Rahim, number three who some of you may not recognize, but that dude was no joke. Like, he can hoop. Nope. He can hoop. Uh, Stephon Marbury, another hooper. Uh, spent a lot of time playing with Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. Uh, Ray Allen was right after that at number five. So you all know Ray Allen. You know. Um, Antoine Walker won, won a championship with the Miami Heat, but spent a lot of his time playing with Paul Pierce in Boston. So they made a good tandem, made some playoff runs. Uh, Lorenzo Wright uh, is kind of one of those middle-of-the-road players. He was good. Kerry Kittles, above average. I, you know, it's hard being in the Jordan area, playing in the East, because you, you weren't going to see a finals. <laughs> so a lot of K the Kerry Kittles spent a lot of his time playing with the, uh, with the Nets, uh, with the Kid and, and, and Kenyon Martin and everything like that. But it was hard to get past that uh, when Jordan was going to knock you out in the first or second round. Uh, but then you move even further, you have um, – to see Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant, you know, at the 13th pick. So that, 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 was, that was huge there. Peja Starkovich, another European player who actually, when we talk about shooters, Peja Starkovich was that dude. Those of you that play 2K, 
you wouldn't want to play against Peja in 2K because he was going to knock down everything. Okay. So this is pre-Dirk, pre-all that, you know, that Peja was that dude. Steve Nash, two-time MVP, right? Uh, Jermaine O'Neal. Walter McCarthy was in the middle of the road. Uh, Zudrinus Agauskas, right here in, our, in the backyard Big in Cleveland. Big Z, you know, so Derek Fisher, champion. We all know his things. I'm still in the first round, right? And then we have some middle of the road players that I'll skip over, uh, but that are recognizable. Then in the next round, you have um, some players like Jeff, Jeff McInnes, Malik Rose. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Uh, Shandon Anderson. Uh, played with Utah, went to back-to-back uh, -back finals. Of course, Jordan made him lose both of those finals, but he would have been a champion too for that. Uh, so you have those guys. And then even if you go further than that, the, the cats who were undrafted out of that draft were big too. So you think of Ben Wallace. Mm -hmm. Not drafted in there, but was in the class of 96. Man. And he, among others, were not drafted, but still made a name for themselves in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the 96 draft was able to produce 10 All-Stars. All right, so let's keep that in mind. And then lastly, I'll do this quickly, the 2003 draft. So that's LeBron's draft. So that's, that's why one of the reasons why people think this, is, this was a big one. So you have LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Bosh, D. Wade, uh, middle of the road, Kirk Heinrich, TJ4, you know, the, Mikhail Petras, middle of the road, kind of just had one good run with Orlando uh, when they beat LeBron's Cavs. David West, can't the main name for himself. Then you have some middle of the road folks also with Dante Jones, Boris Diaw, Travis Outlaw, <laughs> Kendrick Perkins, our favorite Kendrick Perkins was drafted in, in that year too. Leandro Barbarsa, uh, another really good uh, player from overseas, uh, has some really good runs, especially with the Phoenix Suns teams, played with Steve Nash. Josh Howard was actually a good player um, as well, played for Dallas. Going into the second round, Luke Walton, it's a rec recognizable name for a lot of people. Right. <laughs> Steve Blake uh, was okay. Willie Green was okay. Mo Williams. He played in the league for a while, played with LeBron. Kyle Korver, that's another recognizable name. So that that that's the 2003 draft. So I'm just going to say, in my opinion, I think 2003 and 1984 are very top-heavy as far as talent. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the draft of 1996 because I think it presents the most well-rounded talent, that there are more players that were talented, even though the other two drafts arguably produced the first and second best player of all time, depending on how you feel about things and Jordan LeBron. Well, um, I think the overall talent was better in 96, so I'm gonna go with, with them. Oh, they yeah, uh, nine All-Stars for 2003. They produced nine All-Stars there. Yeah. Uh, so Coach Natty T, what do you got? Oh, I mean, I don't have much else. I, yeah, I got 96. To me, it's not, oops, sorry, my phone fell, but um... <laughs> Ugh, am I, should I go here? Do it. You know what the people want. I, I'm going to say 96, and dare I say, I actually don't think it's even close. I agree with you. Like, I don't even think mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's even close. It's not. 
like I think you would have to combine the 84 and 83 draft to even come close to the 96 draft, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because, mm-hmm. again, like you said, you have Jordan, you have LeBron, you have D-Wade, you know, you have Chris Bosh. Um, oh, yeah, I've got uh, David West is in that 03 draft, too. Not a bad player. No. Um, yeah, and yeah, John Stockton into 85 as well. So I think he was a 16th pick. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, but I'm sorry, man. Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Kobe, and then even people may not remember, but again, like Marcus Canby at that time, because the way I'm looking at it, not necessarily obviously with how their careers came out, but even just their each of these players like at their prime, like how good they actually were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, because Marcus Canby at the end, you know, he was kind of a journeyman. Obviously, Stephon Marbury, like, ended up going to China and things like that. But in their primes, like, I, I'm taking that 96 draft. Like, not, and it's not even close mm-hmm. for me. Because just, to me, it's a lot. It's a lot of good players in that in that 96 draft. And because Canby's years in New York were the, probably the most productive, right? And yeah. Went to a finals. Yeah, lost to the Twin Towers with, with the Spurs. So like, I he was a bad boy at UMass. Man, was yeah. He had some good, pretty good seasons with the Raptors too. Later yeah, on. yeah. So Coach K, which draft class do you think is best? I'm about to say something blasphemous. I could tell. I could Coach tell. K looking stressed again. Looking stressed. Man, so, um, I. Um, he put his glasses on. For- <laughs> <laughs> That's how I know he's stressed. <laughs> Obviously, the deepest draft is the '96 draft. I mean, how can you compete with all that talent? Um, <laughs> I, feel a I feel a big butt coming on. <laughs> I don't like bananas, so I'm not going to go with banana boat. Oh, boy. Both three is out for me. <laughs> okay. Elaborate. I want to hear I want to hear more about this. Why why do you why are you going with O three? No, I said I don't like bananas, so I'm not going with the banana boat. Oh, okay. That's what <laughs> I said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So both sink. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um I mean, I'm going to go with the 96. I, I can't. You did all that to go with the 96. <laughs> you can't, I, man. Like, I, yeah. I can't, man. It's like, it's it's too deep. Um, I I will say, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I, my heart goes with the 84 draft class just because, like, they had the more – outside of Kobe – you know which 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 draft squad has the the the, the longest lasting impact. Mm. So I mean, we're not going to see another big man that had the footwork of a, a larger one. Um, um, I mean, we all know who Stockton is probably. Top five, one of the top five, you know, point guards all time. 
uh, I can't say he's the best point guard of all time, but, you know, I mean, obviously Jordan, you know, but I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't go against 96. I mean, that's, I think it would just, I, it would just be like Tom Foolery to, to do that. Yeah, I, I do respect your, your, your point, though, at the legacy that those 84 players uh, left for the league definitely influenced the 96 players, the, the 2003 players and such, uh, because you have some of the greatest of all time to do it in that draft. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. I'm so noticing something yeah. was interesting, because I think each of them have four Hall of Famers in each draft. I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, King, I mean, MJ, Charles, John Stockton. Ninety-six mm-hmm. AI, Ray Allen, Kobe. Well, you know, Kobe's about to get in there now. Right. Steve Nash mm-hmm. is definitely gonna be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. LeBron Carmelo's gonna be a Hall of Famer, Chris Bosch and D Wade. Wow. Um <laughs> that's I mean. It's it's crazy. I mean, you think about it. I'm 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 going off of like the legacy of the uh obviously the top four players from the eighty four draft. Um and then like ninety six, I mean you have Ray Allen. I, I mean Allen Iverson is I mean his legacy stands on its own. Yeah, man. Uh Kobe Yeah. Uh, Kobe obviously is the best out of that bunch. Um, outside of that, Ray Allen, one of the best shooters of all time. But I mean, now we got Steph and Clay too. So Steve Nash. <laughs> shrug, shrug, shrug for Steve Nash. <laughs> don't disrespect Nash to Dash. Nash. I don't know, man. <clears throat> Maybe if he won the championship with uh, Brooklyn, if he can pull that off, I'll, I'll show him a little more respect. <laughs> well, I mean, he did get two MVPs. I only think he deserved one, personally. I think he only Shaq. deserved one of those. Shaq, man. Shaq, yeah. Shaq, got, Shaq got robbed. Yeah, he got robbed for sure. Mm-hmm. But that that's all right. I can't believe we all agreed to 96, 96 draft. But it, yeah. it, it was just so deep, man. So deep. It is. It was crazy and that all that talent yeah. came out in one year. And if you don't, you know, mm-hmm. don't, I think sometimes people take it for granted because we watch those players for years. And then you all, we all think about like, wow, they all came out at the same time. Like, yep. That's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. So Coach K. Is Speaking of the Nets. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Of the Nets. Our Bulls Speaking watch Coach Nets. K has turned into the Nets, Nets watch. watch. With Coach K, what do you have for us tonight, Coach K? There's so much drama going on right now. Um, I'm going to. I want to start. I want to start with the most disrespectful person. That's KD. How how are you going to say that you're not motivated by winning titles? You know why? Because you are, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to make sure I get this right. <laughs> you are a, a punk, no good snake. Uh, we ain't never going to be able to have KD on the show. Not a, a stain <laughs> on the NBA. 
Um, I don't, <laughs> why are you playing, bro? Like, like, if your goal is not to win an NBA championship, why are you playing? <clears throat> like, I don't get it. So, I mean, I just let you know right there. He's, I feel like <clears throat> he's already setting the narrative for uh, if he loses, like, you know, it's not really a big deal. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing against his legacy because he already uh, went to, went to the team that, that beat his team. Like he, <laughs> like if somebody, if somebody punched me in the face and, and were beat me up, like I wouldn't be friends with him. Like, like I, don't, I don't get that, man. So you know this this whole KD thing, man. Is I don't know. I'm I'm sick of him. Like he's a. I can't wait for the day that he retires from the league because that'll be a, that'll be the day that the NBA finally becomes a better a better place for I everybody. I will remiss be remiss if I didn't ask you. You talk about KD's mentality and not wanting to run. Not winning that mm-hmm. the most important thing. Russell Westbrook said something very similar to that. Yeah. So Draymond Green came out. One thing that, you know, we talked about his comments about women uh, in the WNBA and women's sports mm-hmm. and money. But we did talk about his comments of saying that he doesn't like the new wave of NBA players. They're not trash talking. They're not the competitive nature doesn't seem to be there in his opinion. So do you agree with that sentiment? I agree with that. I mean, I don't like agreeing with Draymond too much on anything, but uh, it's just such it's just such a now I now I want to I'm gonna preface it with this too. I f- I feel like it's it's definitely just like a different. I can't I can't really fault the NBA players for that because I feel like the game has changed so much because of the rules that have been still too. So I mean, you can't you can't uh. You can't. I don't know. I mean, you can't. You can't fault the NBA players for that. But I do fault the NBA for. I do fault Steph Curry for from shooting from thirty feet out and changing the game that way. Like I, <laughs> it was exciting at first, but now I, I just absolutely hate it. You sound uh, like an old man right now. <laughs> I know. I am an old man right now. He's like Will Chamberlain never shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I don't know, man. If you, I'm just, but I'm just like, if you, if you're built like Kevin Durant, like, why are you, I don't know, man, there's, there's just, there's no competitive spirit with these games, man. It's just so, it's so lackluster. And like, that's, that's why, like, this has probably been the most I've not watched the NBA this year. I mean, I've kept up with it, but mm. Mm, it's just not exciting to watch when, you know, you're, you know your players are, are not showing up and not saying anything. Now I'm I'm going to say this too because I I'm going to I'm going to say this about one Tris I'm going to transition from Kevin Durant to Kyrie now. Um, I I don't have anything bad to say about Kyrie. You know, and I I feel like he I feel like the reason that he's going through these different things is because he's looking for something. So and I I hope and pray that he finds what he's looking for. You know, um, through, um, you know, through, uh, you know, whether whether it be through, you know, religion, relationship with God or, you know, vice versa. You know, I just I pray that he finds what he's looking for. I think really what he's doing is he's looking because, again, it's like, you know, Kevin Durant is and I think he's poisoned Kyrie's mind. 
That's what I think. <laughs> I think he's because, has I mean, poison Kyrie. <laughs> he has, man. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I at the end of the day, I kind of question. Like, I don't know. May, maybe maybe Kyrie's starting to think think outside of basketball a little bit more because he's getting involved in different things, but. Um, like he doesn't really seem motivated to to win the championship either. Um, there's just I don't know, man. I think they need I think they need a better coach than uh, than than Steve Nash. I don't even know what he's done all year. I think Ty Lue's a better coach than Steve Nash. Wow, that's um, saying, man. Coming from that's saying something. That is saying something coming from me. Um, I think. So I mean, as bad as it is, and I'll 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 bring this into another point too. But uh, I think I still think that this is the year for the uh, for the Nets to win a championship. Unfortunately, but I think I think the glue that's and I think the uh, the reason why the Nets ultimately got James Harden is because he's I think he's going to be the glue to hold this team together and ultimately carry them to the championship. Mm. So, cause I'm not I mean, mad at he, that I'm not mad at that yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, you're not worried about Kevin Durant, like he'll come in there and get his or do his thing, whatever. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, James Harden, I think, I think, you know, he's, he's been, he's almost been there a few times and I feel like now is the time where he I think he, I think he has I mean almost kind of like when you have when you know the the damage that you can do with the team that you have around you like I think that that's even more motivation to to uh, to bring out the the bit I mean he's putting up MVP level numbers you know same thing he was doing yeah. in Houston yeah. um, and I think I kind of like in this, and when KD joined the Warriors, like he, I mean, he did. He knew nobody could stop them, so like he could just go out there and dance on anybody all day, um, and do what he was built to do. So I kind of liken that to this situation. James Harden, like they know how good they are. That's that's why they're the team is is doing what it's doing right now. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, now I will say though, uh I don't fault the uh um any of the NBA players uh for you know this uh, this era of the super team that we're we're still in. I hope that we somehow come out of this era of the super team. But NBA fans have put so much pressure on NBA stars uh to go out and win a championship. And that it's it's becoming like, you know, once you actually win the title, like what's what's the point? Kevin Durant has two titles now, like. And that's what confused me. And I don't know if this is, I mean, people have the right to change their minds as they evolve and everything. But for him to jump from OKC to the Warriors, get two titles, could have been three, you know, if there weren't injury problems there. Then go to the Nets and build a super team to win a championship, right? Right. So if you didn't 
care about this so much, then why all your moves are strategically in the direction of championships? Because you knew that if you jumped on the Warriors, you're pretty much a shoo-in if you stay healthy. To get to the finals, perhaps do that. And then, hey, with the two, you and Kyrie, and then strategizing to get James Harden, you knew in the Eastern Conference, everybody stay healthy, that's good enough to get you to the finals. So I, I, I don't, I just don't know if they're not important to them, why are your decisions pointing towards winning championships there? Uh, I mean, it's comfortable. I mean, he, I feel like either way, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of built a, a safety net around whether or not he loses, because if he, he could blame it on like, well, you know, the, <laughs> it takes us a year to get it together, different things like that. Uh, he already has two championships, so I mean, what's the what's the point of getting the third one? People are already talking about him like he's going to be a top, you know, top top fifteen NBA player of all time. He has what two MVP finals, um, two finals MVPs, scoring champion, former MVP. Like, there's really not much for him to do. I mean, the the whole narrative. I mean, obviously, the one thing that I would like to I did want to see him do was to go build a team and, and win it on his own but he doesn't care because you know I mean he doesn't care just because like there is no there's no competitive nature in, in today's basketball game you know like none like like we've all been saying like coach Nancy was saying there's no like the regular season games are meaningless like playoffs I mean it was fun watching some of it last year but you know it really didn't mean anything because the Lakers were so high powered that we kind of knew what was going to happen at the end uh I mean so I don't really think the Celtic I mean Celtics tried to try to build a super team uh you could say the Miami Heat have kind of built a super team uh, Lakers, obviously, and it's just. I like I like the two the two stars on the team, or a superstar and a star. Yeah, and then the three. I think the three kind of depletes other teams tremendously. If you're going to stack with three or more mm-hmm. players, um, unless you drafted them, so that's why I don't throw any shade Golden State's way, except when KD jumped on board. That's the only time I got upset about it. Um, one of the things I wanted to also bring up, hey, this sounds bad, but I miss the hatred that used to be in these games. Yes. Like, there used to be games where people you could tell genuinely didn't like each other. Whether it was, I don't like you in general, or as long as you're on the other team, I don't like you. That's why I like Russell Westbrook's style, like, mentality in the game you know we've criticized him some on this show but I love the way he approaches competitiveness because he brings that with him like if you're not on my team then you're then I don't like you now when we get off the court we're cool you know what I'm saying but like while these 48 minutes are going by I don't like you but that used to be you know y'all know the the uh heat and Knicks games the Knicks and Pacers games the, the Bulls and, and Pistons games, mm. 
like you know we could go on and on about the those teams hated each other mm-hmm. and you felt that competitive nature going into yes. where this is not about being buddy buddy let the hate flow let the you know let the hate flow. <laughs> so I, I missed that Lakers Lakers yeah. was another one yeah I, I kind of missed that in our game yeah, yeah the last the last truly great series I really felt like I saw some hate was when LeBron and the Cavs beat the Warriors and came back, came back, came back from, you know, being down three, one. Mm-hmm. Cause I saw LeBron block Steph Curry, call him a beat. And I'm just like, <laughs> I was, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Let's go. Yeah. And now we've gone from that to Steph Curry possibly joining the Lakers. And I'm just (laughs) – that's what we're we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, man. So the narrative continues. Do I want to pay attention to free agency and watch what – no, I don't. I honestly don't care. I mean, it's – and it, it just makes it because it makes it hard to be a fan of, you know, like Chicago, you know, like a, a fan of a franchise when you have all the other big players going to uh, to join up with their friends and just win it, win an NBA championship to say they're not driven by winning titles anymore. <laughs> it's not the it's not the end all be all why I play the game. Whatever, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Coach K. That's another Bulls watch well, in this case. Nets watch with Coach K. Because really, you ain't really got anything to watch with the Bulls just besides watching them lose again, again. Well, we'll, we'll, though, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the Bulls next week, man. I'm we're gonna have a little was, side. Zach Levine's out for a while. The COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we'll get right. in the plane. That's all good. <laughs> so our, our next topic is, uh, speaking of the Nets, I think this is a good segue, uh, going into the Kyrie and Dennis uh, shoulder situation. So <laughs> we saw them, you know, a, a foul take place in the game, and they're kind of – Kyrie's barking at, at, at Dennis, and I, Dennis uses the N-word – uh, to Kyrie, you know, like my bad, my fault, you know, said the N word. And Kyrie got really upset after he heard that. So we're talking, you know, the black diaspora is really huge. So what we're talking about, if we want to categorize all that as black, there's still black to black, black player to black player, right? Even though they're from different parts of the world. Um, and Kyrie said, don't call me that you don't know me like that. I thought that was really interesting. So, Coach Natty T, what, what do you – I think uh, two part of this. What did you take away from that whole situation? Uh, and what is your um, kind of thoughts on the use of the N-word in sports? Yeah, so uh, – and actually, it's funny you said two parts. That's where I was going to go. So, uh, first is just more of the incident in the basketball portion of it. And I and 
you know, we saw, you know, I sent y'all the text with uh, with Kyrie because I know, I guess the the rumor is that he's, you know, he's Muslim now. He converted to to Muslim to being Muslim. So and that was one of the reasons why he sat out the other day. But um, you know, obviously Kyrie is on this this personal journey as we've can see by by his actions. Um, where my head goes is I think he was just more frustrated with how the game was going because they weren't winning. He wasn't playing that great. And usually when you're already kind of pent up a little bit and then any little thing kind of sets you off the edge, you just go off. Um, and with him being kind of on this new journey, and I know he's been really reaching back to his you know, African roots and his uh, Indian roots as well. So, you know, once you kind of go back to that history and you kind of, you know, rediscover like origins of not only that word, but just, you know, going back through the history of, you know, Black people, and Indian people in this world, you know, I think it, 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 your starting point or your, your your foundation of who you are within yourself kind of changes. So I can see, you know, I can see that. Um, however, I, I think he needs to be careful because although basketball, I mean, they're playing a game and it's basketball and, and I understand like, you know, if he's really personally offended by it, especially with this new journey that he's on, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you this right now. And I'm just speaking from experience. You play any sort of sport, and we're talking about competitive edges and, and those sorts of things. I'll tell you this right now. He needs to be careful with how he reacts to it because I'm going to tell you this. I've learned this the hard way. Once you react, no matter what said, not said, or physical play, people are going to constantly push that button until you figure out how to deal with it because I'm, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if there's some other NBA teams out there especially during the playoffs if somebody you know when they're walking by they just you know bump into them and call them the n-word because if that's all that's going to take for you to get kicked out the game I'm telling you people are going to push that button right wrong or indifferent and it's it's messed up but I'm just telling you from experience once you're on that court of play or that field of play Almost anything goes. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. There's some things that have been said that I've heard and even said to other people. I would never say it outside of the court of play or 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 the field of play in my case. But I'm just telling you, like in the heat of the battle, things get said. And what I had to learn was you you gotta learn to deal with that. You better learn how to control your emotions and you better learn mm-hmm. how to lock in mentally because people are going to push that button until you figure out how to deal with it and still get the task done. Mm-hmm. So that would be my advice to Kyrie. Okay. Um, now, the second part, just from a, you know, this is just a, a loaded question to me because <laughs> this is so wide ranging and, and it's such a dynamic topic amongst you know the black community yeah. in in the United States that I really don't really have a real thought on it per se because 
just the overall N word, if you want to say the one that ends in the ER or ends in the A or with the silent P at the beginning of it is my boondocks <laughs> <laughs> reference. <laughs> oh, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, but for listeners, if you've never seen the boondocks, you need you need to watch that show. It's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's such a complicated, it's a very complicated issue because like, obviously there's the origin of the word. Um, and then there's kind of that notion that a lot of black folk use that, you know, when you put the A on it, like, you know, we turn the bad word into a good word, into a term of endearment, but it really, the origin's still from a bad word. So really should we be using it at all? all those different kind of thoughts and ideas are, I guess, somewhat valid, but mm-hmm. the problem is at the end of the day, who's going to decide like that the word is going to be eradicated. Right. Is it Kyrie Irving? Is it, you know, as, as people used to joke, is it Bill Cosby, even though that's a bad joke now, but that's what people used to joke. Mm-hmm. They always say it back in the day. Right. Um, is it Michael Eric Dyson? Is it, Barack Obama, like who? Who's gonna be? Who's the consensus of deciding how this word is gonna not be used or used? So that's one difficult part about it. Um, Me personally, I think the older I get, the less and less and less and less I use it. I never really was one to really use it just willy nilly out in public anyway. Mm -hmm. It was more with. You know, like with us or, you know, if, if we're saying it like in a joke or just if we're describing something and we're like, oh, man, that crazy. <laughs> something like that. Um, but I do I do tend to notice as far as within myself, like the older and older I get, I do use it less and less and less. Right. But then the other thing is too, like the music we listen to, you know, with hip hop mm-hmm. And all that, I mean, you know, rappers use it all the time. Mm-hmm. So by listening to it, are we perpetuating as well, even though I don't say it as much? I don't know. Like, is that a, you know what I mean? Like, it's complicated. It, it, um, but I, so that's, that's where I go. I really don't have like a solid, like opinion one way or the other. I just think it's, it's just one of those things that I think we actually probably lead waste a lot of time on because there's just a lot more important things to talk about and one other argument that i hate to hear is you know the like when people just want to blame usually the older generation just want to blame hip-hop like first of all hip-hop didn't create the word nope nope let's stop it yeah they may they may use it in songs and all that and me personally like i don't necessarily like to listen to songs with too much n words or cursing in it yeah. Unless if there's a purpose for you saying it, because I feel like it's just kind of lazy as a rapper. Like if you can, you can use other words to kind of come up with a rhyme. And if you use, you drop a line in it, it better be like for a specific reason in that bar. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. But I, I don't know, man. It's it's too it's too complicated. Because again, like who who is going to be the one to decide that it nobody can use it? Right. I don't. You know what I mean? Like I. How are we going to decide that? Are we going to let white people decide that? Like, that's a whole different thing. And we would never let that happen. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we would never let white people decide 
to do that. Right, right. But we're not gonna be ever, I don't think we're ever gonna be on the same page as far as usage. Right, because that was that was one of the topics this week. Cause it's like, well, you know, if the NBA, you know, what if the NBA or even in the NFL, because I think they've tried to kind of institute that in the officiating, like if they hear it, like you're you're gonna get a flag. Like, so now y'all gonna decide like what we can say and not say. Cause I'm not necessarily a fan of censorship, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know. I really don't know. And just putting out there what Kyrie's thoughts of it were, just to get his more of his perspective. Uh, branching off of what you said, Coach Natty T, about you know just kind of a lot of the thinking that he's been doing and the 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 searching that he's been doing, the soul searching and connections that he's been doing. Uh, says the N word is a derogatory racial slur. It will never be a term of endearment reclaimed flipped. Never forget its foul and true history. Throw that N-word out the window, right alongside all those other racist words used to describe my people. We are not slaves or N-words. That's from Kyrie Irving's Twitter account. And to piggyback off of that too, I think that's fine, but I honestly don't like that he did that in terms of calling out Dennis Schroeder per se, because while you're on this journey, like, let him go on that journey, too. Mm-hmm. Just because you're enlightened to that point now, I don't think it's it's fair to necessarily try to, like, expect everybody else to be on the same journey that you're on. Right. So to me, like, I feel like he should have just, you know, maybe in a timeout, maybe after the game, talking like, yo, <clears throat> I'm not, like, don't call me that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what that's the other part of it that I I didn't like because again I feel like because even bringing me back into it like even when I hear it out of the street like you know do I like kind of have a little bit of a like man like really gotta be like yelling it out like that mm-hmm. but am I gonna walk up to him and be like hey man you know the origin of that word <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, you know, who am I to say that? You know what I'm saying? Like, All right, I'm not going to preach at you and let, unless you're, you're kind of, unless you let me know that you're kind of on the fence about it and you want to hear my thoughts. And of course, I'm going to tell you my thoughts. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to police you. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're not doing anything that's hurting anybody or anything like that. You just kind of, you know, banter between people and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to police you. No, that's not, yeah. that's not my job. To right. 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 So that's, that's the only part with Kyrie. I think he kind of, it, it, and I get it because again, like, you know, when you're on that journey and you kind of had that enlightenment period, like you feel like you got to correct everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because even yeah. like somewhat from a, not again, not to get too far off, but like even from a Christianity standpoint, like, you know, once you really like start di- deep diving into the Bible, you're like, oh man, like look at all this stuff. You kind of tend to just overdo it sometimes even people that are like they say that about people that are in um that 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 are going to school for like psychology you want to like psychoanalyze everybody oh yeah once <laughs> you learned a few you took a few yeah. classes like now you want to psychoanalyze everybody yes so again i i don't think it's necessarily that big of a deal that he did it i, I mean me personally i just didn't like it because i again i just felt like he should have just handled it privately with him and say hey man like i'm really 
because even there was videos of him using the word in the past. I right. don't think that's fair either. Because again, I mean, that's where he was at that time. He's been enlightened. He's older. He's like, hey, this is where I'm at right now. And people are allowed to change their perspective, as you yes. said earlier, right? So I'm, I'm totally good with that and okay with that. Again, I, I just feel like he probably should have handled that privately. And again, that ain't the last time he's going to hear the N-word on the basketball court. Nope, so definitely. I think just... he needs to just figure out a way to kind of deal with that so it doesn't take him off of his game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coach K, what are you thinking, man? Man, I think, like, what's the intent behind the use of the word? You know, because, I mean, I, you can hear it just about everywhere you go. I mean, <laughs> I hear it at the grocery store. Yeah. Everything. So, I mean, me personally, like, I do use the word, you know, but, I mean, I'm not, I'm not referring to people as, like, you know, like a slave or anything like that. And I think in this particular situation, you know, the heat of the moment, Kyrie was in his face. So, of course, like, temper squared up, you want to say a lot of different things. He better be glad that's the only thing he called him, not nothing else, you know. So I think that's the thing because the generation that we're living in now, like, our terms of endearment are different. I mean – there's there's people that call you know it's like she's my girl she's my she's right. my beat you know like now do I call I wouldn't call my girlfriend that but you know it's just you have to uh, to me it, it all boils down to like the intent so um, now obviously. I mean, I don't think that it's an appropriate word for every environment you're in, you know, like, and that's, that's why, like, if I do use that word, like, it's usually around, like, friends or people that I'm close with. I don't say it around, like, you know, everybody. And plus, like, I think it's, I think it's disrespectful to use it, um, or at least for me, it's disrespectful to use it around, like, people who prefer you not to say that word and also mm-hmm. to you know maybe some people that might be you know that went through some you know like traumatizing experiences in life you know like back during the civil rights movement or who knows you know so I just I think it's one of those words where you have to be very smart like you have to see what type of energy in the room like you know, if it's somebody you're close with, you know, because, like, <laughs> I wouldn't want somebody, like, off the street, you know, that I don't know coming up to me and calling me that, you know. Hey, what up, my <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like, up? like, what? I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's – I'm glad that this question got asked because it's actually making me think about it, too, because, like, <clears throat> you know, I – don't use that term with everybody that I associate with. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Now, as far as as far as Kyrie and what he did, um, yeah, he could have addressed it differently. Like, I don't. I'm the type of person to like, especially if you're new to this journey or new to this walk that you're going in. 
don't try to – I need to see some consistency before you start just throwing stuff out there at me, if that makes sense. And it's not going to be the first – it's not going to be, you know, the last time he hears, you know, hopefully people respect his wishes and he can address the situation, you know, as needed respectfully. But, you know, I mean, you're going to hear the word. I mean, it's it's – it's a part of the, I'm not, it's not just a part of the hip hop culture. I mean, it's just, it's just a part of culture in general now, you know, just the, the, the generation, the day and time we're living in. So. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I'm really happy we're talking about this too. Um, because I think all three of us have some overlapping perspectives, but then also some different parts of it too, uh, which I think makes this conversation very good for people out there that maybe now they're out out there thinking about it a little bit more now, or maybe they have been and didn't know how to process it um, and then have, or having one to process it with it. So I, I may take a, what some may call an unpopular route on this one, but uh, just speaking individually, I, I'll just start with the Kyrie edition. I, I thought it was interesting, the language that was being, like how things, I'm a big con- contextual person. So when I look at how Dennis, used it, it was almost in like a, dang, like my fault, you know, it wasn't in an attacking way, okay? So that's where Coach K, you're coming in with intent too, like, cause that wasn't even like an argument, I'm saying this to you, it's like, oh, dang, my bad. And Kyrie's response, when I first heard it, I was like, that's interesting. So to say, you don't know me like that, does that mean that you would allow other people to say that to you? And not Dennis, like KD, who exactly. definitely ain't mixing words. Exactly <laughs> right. That that that's that was my first thought. Like, are you selecting who's allowed to call you that? And then when I read his Twitter post, I'm like, okay, so what you're saying is that you're not going to allow anyone, no matter how close you are to them, address you with that language. And so I, I for his sake, I hope it, that's what that is. Because I think that sends a mixed message if he allows other people to address him that way. And so if that's good for him that if he says, hey, I want to be called this by anybody, uh, then, you know, much respect to him. And I, I feel a certain way. I know we all clown around and, you know, sometimes it's people joke and use words and stuff like that all the time. Um, Overlapping with Coach Natty T, the older and older I get, I was never a big fan of using that publicly. I really don't use that, use that mm-hmm. word publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I have friends that use it, then it's just kind of like, okay, I'll do that. But if y'all look at the group chat, I really don't use that word really at all, unless I'm quoting, you know, something like, hey, this is, you know, so I, I really don't use that because I have really, um, um, strong emotions behind that. And so that goes into my overall philosophy. So when we're talking about using it, I don't like leagues policing people, people's no. in that sense. Uh, if I, I don't, because it's, it's one thing when that fan yells something at Russell Rusberg, because there's definitely a context to that. Right. So that's different. I think that's a little different. Yeah. Fan, fans that that's completely, yeah. That, that's Throw like a completely different discussion. Yeah. Like, yeah you gotta get kicked out for that. You get out. I don't care. Yeah, 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 that's 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 completely different. If it were up to me and I could fix one thing about language is 
it's very dangerous when we make language exclusive. We put ourselves in very muddy waters. And I say that because it's, it has been routine for margin, like marginalized oppressed identities to repurpose language. We're not the only one, right? Uh, you mentioned it, Coach K, with the B word as a reclaimer, we're gonna use that as a term of endearment. The LGBTQIA plus community, you know, when, when I hear, now there's a slight difference with this one and I'll explain myself here. So I was told, I was raised never to say the word queer, right? And a lot of people use that as a derogatory term towards that. But actually it already had a dictionary defined definition but people were using that to weaponize it against the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. uh, but the actual definition isn't negative. And so they, they were able to take that and say, hey, you know, we're gonna use that. And still some folks in that community aren't too high on that word either. They won't use it or they're only allow certain people in the community to be able to utilize that. Mm -hmm. Me working in academia, it's very common for that to happen. And, and so there's spaces I'm in where I'm able to say it because we know, they know exactly where I'm coming from when I use it. So there's that benefit of the doubt that comes in there from someone that's outside of that identity group. Where I wish that we would have not, as black people never, ever, ever utilized that word. I think we put ourselves in a very bad position. And like I said before, I'm not the one that's gonna go ahead and police people and say, no, you shouldn't be saying that. No, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. I mean, there's things that people do all the time that I don't like. And it's like, okay, you're not hurting anybody. So I don't, I don't really care. I'm not going to do it. I would, I hope that you wouldn't do that to me, but if other people like it, then that's what, you know, so there's other things in life that I look at that when it comes to substances, substances and stuff like that, like drugs and stuff like, you know, uh, when it comes to, I think the other, the kind of conversation that is uh, use of marijuana, right. We're starting to see that culture shift a little bit, but people, been demonized for using that. It's not something that was attractive to me, but I know people that use it. And I'm like, okay, that's cool for you, just not in my house, okay? I appreciate it, just not in my house, right? If I'm in your space, then I can't control, that's your space, right? And I can select if I want like to leave or not, but I can't tell you what to do there. As my house, don't smoke cigarettes, don't smoke anything, right? So that's, that's the thing. When it comes to the language portion of it, I think there's a reason why the LGBTQIA plus community did not repurpose the F word that rhymes with maggot, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason why they did not repurpose that word because of the traumatic nature of it and its origin is built out of hatred. Whereas queer was repurposed for negative and now being repurposed back for positive, right? We're gonna go back to the definition. The the that's where I think we went the wrong direction with that in our community. And because of that, it's, it's created a lot of um, dichotomy within the black community. Even when you look at other people of color that are of other backgrounds and some people were like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, they, they from our neighborhood, you know, they, it's, it's whatever. And other people are like, no, 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 they're not black though. So why can they get, why, why did they get a chance to say? It? So like that, then there's this whole big thing. Um, 
what does black mean in American black? What does black mean in African black? What does black mean in, Afri in Indian black and Afro-Latino black? You know, so who gets all the passes? Who gets the passes to be able to say all this, right? And we can't come up with a blueprint that everyone can agree on. And I think that speaks values to of, okay, we probably shouldn't do this in the first place. And when you're trying to repurpose trauma, it is almost impossible to do it in a way that is 100% productive because there's always gonna be trauma attached to that. So my opinion is I don't think our community should have, should have adopted And I think that's why the LGBTQ plus community did not repurpose their word that was used against them, the word that was used against them. Um, so yeah, that may be a popular opinion. I, I may get a lot of hate from that, but that that's just, I don't condemn people who do it. I'm just saying, I don't think we should have in the first place. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, but that, but that's, that's the issue because it's like, as you just said, I mean, I mean, and I said it, I mean, who, like, how do you police it now? Because like you said, like, you got like other communities using it, like they do have, because even um, I remember the uh, kind of bringing it back to sports a little bit, um, the whole Miami Dolphins with Richie Incognito, like, Man, and oh the Pouncey twin, it was like, oh, well, he could say it. I'm like, what? Like, what do you think he could say it? Like, what do you? So it's it's just gotten so out of hand now that it's like I just I don't even know if you can put the what what's what's the term they say put the cat back in the bag or whatever or the hat yeah. back something whatever whatever term they use for that like it's just gotten so out of hand now like it I don't even know I, I don't know but but to your point Coach JB three I think you know ultimately the responsibility is on us as Black folks. And I think there's just been just like a, I don't know, it's just like a, there's just been a gap there from that time when it was used, like, you know, that word, the, the ER word. Sure. And then, you know, when he cringed it as a Michael Eric Geisen say, you know, we took the poison out of it and then put the A on it and made it a term of endearment, as he likes to say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, from there, like, it just seems like there was just a drop off and there wasn't really like a, a determination from there as far as like, you know, how it should be used, when it should be used. Because like you said, with the LGBTQ plus community, like, they're like, okay, no, you can't use that word with us. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that ever happened with, you know, with african-americans and you know obviously in the united states so it's just, it's just it's just kind of it's just been left and then people use it how they use it privately some people use it publicly and then it's in music and then you got riley cooper saying it you got richie incognito saying it <laughs> and then it just gets out of hand now you know so i yeah i i don't really know i i, I don't know but I guess for me personally, like I said, I mean, the, the older I get, I don't, I just don't really use it as as much. I mean, I really don't, I really don't say it at all much, really. Cause yeah. even, cause like you said, like when people come to your house, like my house, we don't use it in our house. Yeah. My wife, none of, you know, I, I live in, like I, said, I live in the DC area. My, my wife's family all lives here. I mean, they don't, they don't use it at all. Yeah. You still hear it. So, you know, I, to, to your point, Jake, I mean, really, 
looking back, it probably should have just been eradicated completely, but it's just gotten so far out of hand now. I just don't know how you kind of ring it back in. Yeah, really. Don't. Yeah. We forgot to mention, like, you talk about white folks who their black friends let them use that word. Yeah, like how? Like how do we right. get here? Nah, you, nah. That nah. I and I, I really that wasn't. I've noticed that amongst like the younger the younger kids as well, because like not to cut you off, because you're but like my one of my uncles is a teacher. He's a middle school teacher in California, like out in the LA area. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he say like, yeah, he hear it all the time. He hears like, you know, white kids and everybody. And then the black kids are walking out like, yeah, 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 what's up? I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. But to, to my point earlier, I feel like that's just a lack of explanation from the adults down. I don't think we really address it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when it goes unaddressed, then, you know, you, you just hear it and then you just say it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, he can say it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's where it's just gotten out of hand because it, it's never really addressed. You just kind of hear it. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to say it. And then that's it. Yeah. People just have license to go. take Right, it. right, right. It's not really addressed at all. So I don't go ahead, know. Coach K. No, nah, I was just gonna say it's it's something that you know now you people take pride in it. You know, like it's an identity. It's it's a whole mm-hmm. it's a whole culture. You know, it's something that some people it's like this is something that we have that no other cultures can be a part of. Yeah. So I I just it's. It's complicated, man. It's complicated yeah. because we didn't have to do that, like, right? And so I, and even because there is an actual origin of the word that was used before, you know, white people, slave owners, and stuff like that were using the word. They just weren't saying the word right, and they were spelling it different, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, why couldn't you go back to the root word that had the pure meaning behind it? And I think Kendrick Lamar talked about this. He, he talked about that. That's, that was the word that was meant to positively uh, th- describe Black people. But you decided to go with the oppressive version of the word and then try to change it. It's like, why didn't you just go back to the word? Just go back to that word then. Because that already has a definition attached to it instead of trying to repurpose something. So, I mean, this this country, though, it places so much. And actually, I heard this from one of my um, I don't know what country he is from but he's from Africa he said I never knew I was black till I showed up here no like think about that you have to you have to choose like I filled out a survey the other days like are you uh, you know are you African American Mexican are you white other Asian, it's just like it's not good enough to to be just American. It, you have to you have to pick and choose within the subdivision. Mm-hmm. So no, you're, you're right. No, you're completely right. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it, so everything comes I, back to America. Man. I, yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to blame this strictly on black people. I blame it on the country who sets up, you know. 
there's strictly strict sets up like um ethnic i'm gonna call it ethnic subdivisions i don't even know if that's a word makes sense though i mean it makes sense yeah yeah (laughs) you have to identify with a group of people yeah Mm -hmm. that social identity is very important to us and not to go too off but i think this is a microcosm of it there's like this discussion here that oftentimes we identify the heaviest with our social identity. Those things that we are constantly navigating through and those things that we constantly have to defend the most. Mm -hmm. Those two things become very salient to us as individuals and race is one of them. Ethnicity is one of them. Um, Religion is one of them, right? Which is now why Kyrie has kind of flipped this and said, you know what, because that religion part is part of his social identity now. And that's why we have the movements that we're having now. They're social identity based. And even think about how important it is to you because for a lot of us, when we introduce ourselves to someone, after we say our name, we most likely say, what? What do you do, what I do for a living? This is what I do. You attach that value to yourself. Mm -hmm. What you do for a living is part of your social identity. So you attach that to yourself without talking about those other personal things, right? Mm-hmm. So we we kind of privilege social identity over the personal individual identity. Yeah. So it's, it's, we got to be able to see each other on all levels, the individual, the social, and the universal. So those things that we share as human beings that are sharing this earth, the social things that give us an opportunity to have shared experience, whether it be positive or negative, but knowing that not everyone who identifies one way is going to have those viewpoints or that experience, which is why we need to treat people also as individuals because they're gonna have different experiences and different likes and dislikes and all those things. And when people don't feel valued or heard in one of those areas, that's when you have problems. And that's why there's these movements that are going on right now. Yeah, I just wanna say this because I I never realized this until this point, the reason that I was okay with, you know, I say like my friends, uh, I guess I'm saying, let me be specific, my black friends, like calling me the N-word is because it, it made me feel socially acceptable, accepted, you know, and because like I said before, I feel like in this country, like you place so much value or they set up these ethnic subdivisions. And I think it, it happens more than just, you know, at, you know, like they have diversity, um, what do you call it, like diversity councils or whatever, like we have to have so many black people that work here, um, different things like that. Well, I mean, growing up, I didn't really identify with my own people because like I grew up differently. Like I didn't listen to like rap music or uh, really be just not because like, you know, I didn't want to just because like my parents wouldn't let me. Mm-hmm. So like getting called that term was just like for me, it's like, okay, cool. I'm in like I'm I'm accepted. I you mean, know, versus <laughs> like I made it. <laughs> yeah. You may, I mean, you know, we laugh about that, but you know, like I mean, one one of the basic needs is to be accepted and to be feel like you're needed and loved by your by, you know, people who surround you. So and the social constructs set up by this, by the America, I feel like has led to a lot of 
what's happening now with, you know, the N-word becoming socially acceptable, you know, all these different movements that we're having. It's not, it's not good enough to be American. It's, you have to have some type of ethnic identity within, (laughs) within the culture, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you're right. It's um, it, it's a very interesting. It, it's it, it's crazy because again, it, it it all comes back to and again, everybody will be back. Yeah. It all comes back to America, man. It's that I, I like to call it the American oh, brainwash. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Because because like because it comes to because you've yeah because you've been well you've been over because you've been to Germany right and. Germany uh, and Czech Republic. And Czech Republic, and then, and then Coach K. I don't because you have you been to Europe yet? I've never been to Europe. I've been to uh, uh, I've been to Canada and like some Caribbean countries in okay. uh, Central America. Okay, because I bring I bring up uh, Europe because and, and Coach JB three because I know Germany Germany is more diverse. <laughs> I would say, but really. Oh okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of black folks in in, okay. in Germany. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because um, what's interesting in <laughs> with Europe, and I don't know if you guys realize this, because to your point, Coach K, like everything is very race based. So on your standardized tests in school, like you have to pick what race you are. You know, whatever when you apply for a job at the end, that's like one of the last questions they ask you. What you know. <laughs> Like, why does that really matter, right? You know, in, like, in Europe, I mentioned the, like, the census um, statistics before where it breaks it up by race, like, in the United States. Like, go to, like, if you just type in, like, racial demographics in, like, France or in Germany or in Spain, they don't do that over there. They actually don't track it. They they don't track demographics at all. It's funny that you mentioned that because we we were we were shocked because yeah. when we did our study abroad, then we went to um, a center that helps folks entering Germany get acclimated to German culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this place, we were asking them all these questions that had an American lens on it because we were talking about, oh, you know, what's the makeup um, of these areas? And the guy who was sitting there was like, I, I don't really know. You know, I know that I can tell you approximately like how many people that we've had from particular like countries probably like come in mm-hmm. and everything, but I can't tell you all the makeup of those. I can guess, but it's not, we don't have those numbers readily available. And we were like, what? It's, a, it's illegal. They're not. They don't. They don't track it like that. It's illegal. Yeah, because they have a huge. Was it uh, Turkish population that's coming in um, into Germany? Uh, so some of the demographics of Germany is, is changing because of that. So that's what kind of propelled us to ask these questions. They don't. They don't keep track. Yeah. And also, I thought it was interesting that they wanted them to get acclimated to German culture, but not assimilate, which is something that America really does. Is like we're not. It, there's a difference between integration and assimilation. And I think America goes more on the assimilation route. And Germany, that company's goal was to integrate mm-hmm. folks better so they can still keep their culture, do their things, have the rights that they need to have, uh, but also understand what, you know, the German culture is about. Yeah, so is Canada. Canada does that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
before we go on our last thing, I just want to say back to what I said about, you know, black people letting white people use that around them. All my black people that are out here listening to me, I just want you, I know we, we, we have our different viewpoints about this whole topic, but I think there's one thing that we should all agree on. That should be a consensus, yeah. That should be put my glasses on too. If, <laughs> yeah, I'm putting my glasses on for this one. That's your friend. You know, we love cross-racial relationships. I'm a product of one, right? Interracial relationship, right? Black dad, white mom. If you love your white friends, please tell them to not use that word. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care how you personally feel about it, right? You are setting your white friend up for failure. Failure. Yep. They're going to say and it to the wrong person. They're going to say it to the wrong person, and you might not see your friend again. <laughs> or you're going to have to go visit them in the hospital. Do not set your friend up for failure. Set that barrier right then and there and say, I love you. I appreciate our friendship, but you cannot use this language around me or anyone else. I don't care what they say that looks like me because we each have our different viewpoints of this. And I don't want you to say it to the wrong person and end up getting hurt. Please, I've seen it happen. Like I said, I work at a university. I've seen it happen. I had a student come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm from uh, Chicago area and I use it around my black friends and they're okay with it. He decided to use it in Ohio and it didn't go well for him. Yeah. Don't set your white friends up for failure. Please nip that in the bud immediately. I agree. Yeah. Man. Okay. I had to get that out there. Okay, so our last thing is, I just want to, you know, talk about who won the week and everything. We try to end our episodes with that. Uh, so I just want to give a shout out to, to D-Wade, uh, three-time NBA champion, Dwayne Wade, uh, purchased ownership stake in the Utah Jazz, uh, joining majority owner and team governor Ryan Smith with plans to take an active role in the franchise in the region. Uh, and so, you know, more of this is going to come. There hasn't been a whole bunch of details released on this. Like, just, you know, just happened. What I wanted to get people's thoughts on quickly is why Utah and not Miami? I have no idea <laughs> what he's doing. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. Oh. Like I, I don't I don't I don't get it. That's Sour all grapes. Sour grapes. So maybe some Sour grapes. Where because he says that you know he loves Miami and everything. And I think maybe he means that he appreciates with the heat, his time with the heat and the things that they're able to accomplish. And he loves the fan base. Obviously he came there, there to do his big, you know, his uh, victory lap. So I think there was some things going on there that he knew because I think the, the part is not just the stake, but the active role. And seeing how the Miami franchise is ran, I don't think Pat Riley would allow anyone to have that active of a role within the ownership state. Now, I think rules regulate that it can't be any more than 1% ownership, but still, like for someone who wants to take a step above just the, the, the 1% ownership and say, hey, you know, I'd like to help make some decisions around here. I don't know if that, if that sat well, if that would sit well with Pat Riley, which is probably why he didn't choose Miami. That's my personal opinion, don't have any evidence uh, of, of that outside of what I've seen, how I've seen Miami run their franchise. Yeah, I mean, uh, Don, uh, Don Juan Riley ain't, ain't going to play, ain't going to go for that. Um, I think 
I think I think in this in the instance since when we think about when we think about Miami, I think we'll always think about like what I mean, as great as D-Way's accomplishments were, I think I don't know, I'll always think of Pat Riley, LeBron James, then D Wade. Mm. If if I'm just if I'm just being honest. I mean he you know, Dwayne Wade might even be the most important person to that franchise. But I think that I think he, he's the type of person to uh want to, I guess, establish his own legacy. Um and I think that, you know, his time, what he did in the Miami Heat era, I mean, obviously it's un- good, but uh, probably go do something hopefully just as good, if not better, you know, for, for Utah. So that's just my take on it. And knowing how Pat Riley is, and uh, I, I still – I know – Time, they say time heals all wounds, but I, I I still think he felt still feel some kind of way about not getting that money that he was supposed to get after, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean they never yeah. invested in him like they invested in others, despite his loyalty yeah. performances. And it's it's interesting to see the pattern that's going on of where people aren't investing in the teams that they play for. The most uh, so this this is you know Grant Hill Atlanta Hawks, Shaq Sacramento Kings, Jordan Charlotte Hornets, Magic was pro- is, was the one exception that went to the Lakers side of things you know so mm-hmm. I don't I was interesting that people are are deciding to go outside of where they spent most of their careers um, for one reason or another. Oh, yeah. and, I can think of is uh, just maybe money. Cause the, cause I know the Miami Heat is more about is I think they're, hold on, let me see, yeah, cause Utah Jazz is, their net worth is one point six billion, okay, whereas I think the Miami Heat is I think two billion. Let me double check. Cause I'm on Forbes right now. Yeah, Miami Heat's two billion. So it could be money. Because if it's supposed to be one percent, I mean, you know, you may not. Because I know he has an investor, but you know, maybe if somebody else, like, it's even like the Grant Hills and the Shacks. I mean, you know, if 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 a team is like, hey, like, you know, you can have a stake in our team, but you know, the it's different trying to have a stake in, in the Lakers. Like, if you're Shaq, if you're trying to get in the Lakers or even in the Heat, very true. You know, as much as they are wealthy, I mean, when we're talking about, you know ownership or minor you know ownership of a team i mean that's still a lot of money that you gotta put up because the ownership group uh that way joined their total is 1.66 billion dollars purchase of the jazz in october Mm. yeah so yeah i think no i think that's a good point too yeah yeah, my one percent is going to be less over here, and there's going to yeah, because yeah. I mean that's still that's still a lot of money you gotta put up <laughs> yeah. to try to get in, you know. So maybe they're just like, hey, I'm just gonna get in where I can, and then you know maybe if my can, 
you know, increase my money a certain way, then maybe I can go to the heat mm-hmm. for day, you know? So I don't know. And another thing I'm kind of guessing on is I think Wade is looking to make a culture shift there in Utah, not just on the court, but off the court. Just thinking of the demographics and thinking of that one. the mindset. I think he's wanting to there. There was some mention, there's a quote for him. Talk, he talked about uh, LGBTQ youth and their families and uh, Black Lives Matter movements and stuff like that, stuff that's very important to him. He would like to see that work being done in the community. Mm-hmm. And if he can help galvanize people to do it, then he feels that he can utilize his platform to help do that. Um, so I, I applied mm-hmm. for that effort. I don't know how, how sustainable or effective it's going to be because that's a different space than Miami, you know, so, but yep. more power to him. And I, I wish him the best and all that. That's good. But man, if he, if that's the fight he's planning on fighting, man, I don't know. That's, uh, you might need more than, uh, Salt Lake City, that is, yeah, that is the, the Mormon it's salty term. for a reason. <laughs> I'll see first. Yeah, that, yep. that is headquarters for the Mormon Church. So that that's yeah. uh, even though there is there is actually like a like there is a decent like LBGTQ plus community there. Yeah, but um, but still, like if you you that yeah, I, I don't know, man. Good luck with that. Yeah. So we'll see, but I, I I'm happy to see players making these type of investment moves. And, and getting some some juice and some pool within uh, the teams in their, in their communities. It's really cool to see that. So big ups to wait. All right. Well, that's it from us here on the Coach's Box. Thank you for joining us in another episode. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Peace, y'all.